Hi, and welcome to the Young Family Small Business Podcast, the show that deep dives into conversations with experts in small business, raising a young family, or are shining examples of mastery in both. My name is Ben Walker, and I'm the founder of Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants, and the host of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants. We've worked with thousands of business owners since we started in 2013, and we're best known for saving our client base a total of $17 million in tax and counting. For every dollar of tax we proactively save a small business, Inspire donates a day worth of access to life-changing food, water, health, or sanitation services to a family in need. If you're interested in speaking with an accountant to see how we could help your business, head to inspire.business forward slash chat. Next guest is Owen McCrink. I met Owen probably about about seven years ago. Uh, It's quite a long time. Hosting a workshop in a, a bank in Melbourne. And about two years ago, Owen reached out to um, to work with us, and uh, it's been great to get to know him on a bit more personal level. Um, he is an action taker, and he's switched on. I can say those two things just just witnessing that um, he, he doesn't muck around when it comes to business and uh, and getting things done. And and a bit of a uh, like a, a formal introduction. Uh, Owen's the founder and managing director of Digital Basis, a software development agency based in Melbourne. Uh, that focuses on building and commercializing software products. From starting Digital Basis in 2017, Owen and his team have delivered dozens of successful projects while continuing its growth to a team of over 20 professionals in Melbourne and remotely around the world. Uh, Prior to Digital Basis, Owen worked at one of the largest global advertising agencies, Havas, leading their digital team in Melbourne. He also started, grew, and sold several software businesses, including selling through an acquisition by an ASX-listed company. That story is pretty cool. Um, Owen's got a Bachelor of Engineering and is a member of Engineers Australia. Um, Just some key points for for Owen's story. He started and sold four businesses. He's purchased two businesses, which means he's currently running three at the moment, Digital Basis and two other software companies. Uh, And he was a a fellow winner of the Antil Online 30 Under 30, which is pretty cool to see. I think I won, uh, won one of those positions in 2014. Uh, and that was around the same time. So cool. And um, I think Owen's got some massive value to add from what it takes to grow a team, what he looks for there, um, and also managing a, a remote work, global workforce. Uh, so I hope you really enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Owen, for uh, joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to talking to you. And um, it's been awesome to follow your journey over the last couple of years as your accountant. Uh, thanks again. Thanks. Thanks for having me on today. And yeah, thanks for being the, the best account I've had so far, <laughs> ever, for, for good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, um, hey, your first question always on, on this podcast is, is about your family. So did you want to tell us a bit about your family and, um, and what you like doing together? Yeah, so I've got uh, my wife, Terry, and I've got two little boys. So one is uh, three and uh, the other is uh, nine, nine months. So Oscar and, and Fletcher, the little one. So we um, have had a bit of a strange kind of you know, 18 months or nine months and, and, and the rest with, um, with the, the elder one. But we, um, you know, being in Melbourne, it's been kind of enjoyed just going around uh, five kilometres or maybe 10 kilometres or you know, about 15 kilometres now. So, but we, we just generally um, try to uh, hang out at the park or go for a walk. So find, being boys, find some construction to look at. Um, we've got a bit of 
big uh, big cranes and stuff going on with a level crossing removal here. So um, we've been following those during uh, the last you know couple of months there. And apart from that, we've we just kind of been sticking to ourselves really for the last mm. period of time. Yeah, no, fair enough. And it must be, yeah, I guess you're you're in Melbourne. You've had the sort of in the whole world, you've had the, probably the worst deal uh, out of everyone in terms of lockdowns and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, no, it's good to see you still getting out. And it's interesting um, for the for the listeners. Uh, Owen, myself, and uh, one of our accountants, school, Sean, all had a baby boy about a week apart. So it was um, <laughs> quite, quite interesting going through that together. Hang on, that was about. I think I've, we initially had a, a kickoff accounting about nine months before that, didn't we? It was <laughs> must something in the in the Google Meets at the time. I don't know. <laughs> That's it. But uh, no, it's, it's really cool to, to see them growing up. And, and in terms of the, like you, you kind of mentioned it with the, the kids a bit, but um, you know, as, as a dad and as a business owner, um, life can get pretty hectic in the business sense. What sort of rhythms do you have day to day or week to week just to keep that relationship with your kids? I, I guess I kind of can often compare it to people uh, I know that are working in, in good corporate jobs who sometimes you get, you get a bit envious of because they just go to work, get paid a lot have some leave, get all the public holidays, and then kind of you can't go, oh, that'd be glorious. But then you, you see that the, the difference that some, you know, of what we have being, I guess, how I, I structure my day, how I want it to be. So I, I stay home in the morning, have breakfast with the kids. Maybe we'll go for a walk and I'll drop into the office and they'll continue on their day. And then always home for, for bed and, and bath time and, and dinner time. So I, I think being you know being a business owner, being that kind of structure where you can set how you want to work. So I, I work less during the day, and I'll, I'll jump online in the evening and and work away a bit at night, which obviously impacts time with with Terry. But um, I think it's better to spend the time together as you can with with the with the little ones. Yeah, no, that's cool. And and you mentioned Terry there. My my next question is around how do you sort of maintain your relationship with um with Terry and. Well, we've missed our last two anniversaries, so both the uh, last two anniversary in, in, in lockdown. So uh, this year, we uh, where we got married, I ordered some wine from. We got that delivered to. Managed to order it two days before our anniversary, and it landed in time for our anniversary. So you know, being <laughs> proactive, getting it there on time. But uh, yeah, I mean, we used to kind of try and go out for for you know date nights or or lunches or whatnot, but. Last year was, you know, a bit of a write-off. Uh, this year, the start of the year was, you know, great for for uh, we had a lot of freedom back back then. The start of the year, then it progressively got worse. But we had, when we had those great freedoms, we had uh, uh, very early on newborns, so we kind of lost out on uh, that. So we've probably a little bit out of touch, uh, I guess, lately because of you know just the situation: a little baby, newborn, uh, newborns, lockdowns, and then yeah. So I guess we we just uh, find a couple of favourite. TV shows on Amazon or Netflix or Stan or Paramount or uh, you know pick your pick your poison and away we go. <laughs> That's it. You you keen to share one one or two of those favourites? Yeah, I mean, we've always got the we, we seem to always uh, like shows with a bit of mystery, not mystery, but a bit of thinking in it. So uh, Elementary has been one. It's a fairly older one, but it's a Sherlock Holmes kind of based one. Yeah, and House, which oh, yeah. Yeah. I usually don't really like medical ones, but caught Terry watching it one day and I'm like, oh, this looks all right. So we got, we got stuck into that. There you go. I haven't watched uh, much of it yet, but Squid Game looks like a bit of a craze at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's just uh, I've been losing a bit of sleep because I've been watching that one as well. After uh, episode, I'll hopefully watch episode seven tonight. It's actually been really, really great. Really enjoyed it. But wow. 
yeah, just, I think we Terry and I watched the first episode together, and she said this is not for me. It was a bit too um, too much violence. Yeah, yeah, I've also heard that feedback. <laughs> there you go. And uh, in in terms of your career, I was reading your your bio that you sent through earlier, and um, and there's stuff I didn't even know about your your journey. Uh, but did you want to sort of share some, um, yeah, I guess maybe when, when you left school from that point onwards, what yeah. did you kind of um, tend to throughout your career? Yeah, so I finished school, I think, 2005 and went straight into uh, an engineering degree. So uh, my passion has always been computers and programming and doing nerdy stuff. But at school, was good at physics and, and, and this, the maths as well. So I got pressured probably by the school counsellors to go into uh, mechanical engineering to cash in on the mining boom oh wow um so i'm not really a mechanical type person but i've got finished a degree and um by the time we finished i finished the degree um mining boom was uh struggling so yeah don't don't choose your career based on booms or busts because that's just gonna not uh, not really work out but i managed to get into during um university um i got a casual job at holden or, or gm and was working in their warehouse and kind of uh, got into with the HR department there. And there was an internship at Holden, a paid in- internship in the manufacturing um, a year off. So it essentially took a year off uh, university and, and did a paid internship there, um, which got me heavily into the manufacturing sector, which is great. And then from there, I transitioned into another automotive supplier called uh, Continental, probably known for tyres, but they right, do all yeah. components as well and, and worked at... Uh, Worked at the factory there, um, you know, designing production lines, figuring out how to build stuff and not strictly engineering, more kind of project management stuff. But, you know, I could tell it wasn't for me, the number one, the corporate stuff uh, there was, was a bit annoying, timesheets. I remember specifically an event where I clocked off at 3 a.m. or something. And I got an angry email from HR one day saying I didn't clock off for one of the days. I might check the next day because I clocked off, you know, after midnight. So it's kind of like, you know, very frustrating. And the, and my passion was in you know, computers and, and programming and whatnot. So on the side, I started a, um, I started a, a business called uh, ReGadget, which was uh, essentially a B2C platform where you could jump on, type in your old phone. So iPhone at the time was probably iPhone 3G. And it would give you a price. We'd generate a shipping label. You pop it in the post. We'd get it and we'd pay you. And we got, I've determined that model from a successful business in the US. Um, I saw what they were doing over in the US, probably on TechCrunch or something like that. Mm. And um, had a look in Australia. No one was doing it. I'm like, here we go. There's my idea. Yeah. And away we went. So that led to a journey of uh, trying to run a full-time, like a fairly, you know, a startup business growing um, and running and working full-time job. So I remember ducking out at, uh, lunch breaks to, uh, to go to the post office, pick up some stuff, post some stuff at nighttime, you know, doing the, the sales and marketing. And uh, yeah, really, we grew that from, you know, nothing to doing hundreds of phones per week, um, yeah. you know, paying out hundreds of thousands of dollars for devices, trying to like manage cash flow by, I mean, it's hard with B2C if you don't pay them, they get pretty cranky. So it's like managing, balancing everything. So we realized pretty early on we needed an investor even just for working capital, I was a 21 or 22-year-old. So mm. you know, 20 grand in the bank might have been great, but it doesn't buy many iPhones. So just, did a, a, just a quick one on the business model there. You bought them and then what did you do with them after that? Re- resold, obviously. Yeah, we, we yeah. resold, depending on what it was. For some stuff, you'd resell it straight onto eBay or, or that was the marketplace at the time. You'd look at doing it now, Kogan Marketplace or Amazon Marketplace, but back then eBay. And we might be able to buy something for 400 bucks, sell it for seven, 800 bucks. So it was good margins. 
and then the stuff that was broken or too old or too fiddly that wasn't really appropriate for the Australian market, we'd actually consolidate them and sell them as wholesale lots into Hong Kong. Wow. So a bit of export sales there as well, which is pretty cool. It's pretty strange packing a box of like a thousand phones and shipping it off. It was, uh, yeah, um, interesting times. I've got some photos from the old days, which I should dig out one day. Yeah. Uh, for the garage, the parents' garage covered in devices. Wow. Cool, cool idea. So what, what ended up happening with that one? So you got an investor? Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess we looked for an investor, but um, we've had a lot of obviously. I guess maybe being younger and dumber, or younger and just ambitious, you kind of go, okay, what am I going to do? And I just started emailing random people, having coffees with people, and then I guess that's just what you do. It's just business now. But back then, I felt like a, a weirdo doing it. Um, but I did a cold outreach after seeing a smart company uh, publication article about um, a listed company called CVC in, in Sydney on the hunt for tech kind of startups, blah, blah, blah. So I emailed the guy called Eddie and uh, and um, we had a coffee and he loved it. He flew, the, they were going to put us into a portfolio company up in Brisbane called Cellnet, another listed company. So we flew up, met the CEO, he loved it. And we got a deal done very quick where essentially I got paid out, you know, a good, good sum of cash, had an earn out and uh, Know, a decent salary, which was I think double my full-time engineering salary. So it was actually quite quite a good offer. Um, they really and yes, yeah, so we could have done the deal. I had a small bit of equity left, uh, an earn out, good salary. They had you know being a listed company access to significant amount of cash to to fund the the growth and also I guess the key one for for me at the time was they had really good connections in their sales channel. So they sold Optus, Telstra, Vodafone, all those guys. So the, the aim was to do a, like a trading program where you could sell old phones in store and we'd collect them. And then kind of now, if you look at it, I think every single uh, phone network does that now, but back then we were trying to be the, the first. So yeah, that, that was essentially the, the, it was a very quick process. Um, we, I think I first met them in Feb and we had a deal done in, in March. Funny fact, my legals was done by free, like some random guy, John Smith, anonymous, from freelancer.com, who couldn't disclose his name because he couldn't compete with his agent, his firm. So that was quite funny. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Ah, there you go. And um, and so you had that sort of, and how long did that take you from idea to sale? Yeah, so I was trying to look through this a little. I've got you know various articles and stuff pulled out. Obviously, some of the, all the source code and stuff. I, I don't know where that is anymore. But pre looking back, uh, I think uh, we launched in April, Mar- uh, April two thousand and eleven. Yeah, uh, around there, we probably would have started the development and kind of getting the stuff ready in um, December. So we started with the brand and getting the website together, and in December, I launched it in in April, and then. I think I kind of bootstrapped for nine months. Obviously, it started kind of, it's just kind of grew and grew. And then I realized this is ridiculous. So February, I think, wow. was the first meeting. And then that, I moved up to Brisbane on the 1st of uh, April Fool's Day, 20, 2012. So, yeah. So, it kind of when, when they met the right investor that was serious and they wanted to do a deal, it was very quick. But um, they, they, they looked at more of a strategic kind of, this could be worth a lot for their business. And it's probably made it. And for, for their size of business, the acquisition was tiny. Like they, probably pay sales bonuses more than that. <laughs> well, there you go. But that would have been an amazing opportunity for you. So in about a, less than a year, you, you'd kind of launched it through to sale. Yeah, pretty much launched to acquisition in, in a year, which um, was pretty cool for a first business. Yeah, how good. Now, 
in your bio, you also mentioned there's more than just the, the one sale. So can you walk us through some of the other things you did after that point? Yeah, okay. So I had an earn out and um, I left and I, you know, as much as I love visiting Brisbane, I liked living in Melbourne better. So we wanted to get back to Melbourne. So we, we packed up and, and came back to Melbourne and, and we're like, what, what next? So ended up, uh, I mentioned before, Eddie from uh, CBC, the initial guy we did the investment with, he, he actually left the company sometime in 2013, I think it was, or anyway, before I did. And then we're both back in Melbourne after being in Brisbane. And I think we're catching up with coffees and we decided, hey, this mobile phone stuff has some legs. We don't really want to do B2C though, let's do B2B. Yep. And we started a little, pretty much another secondary business doing wholesale trade of, of secondhand electronics which we grew over about two year period. And we did, I think, you know, significant revenues very early on. And we managed because it was B2B, we could stagger payments a bit better. So we could buy in bulk and almost sell before, you know, we didn't really have to fund it all. We could leverage payment terms and stuff like that to, to kind of uh, have our suppliers fund it for us, which is great. So we grew that. And then we kind of realized this is, this is great, but uh, we don't see the long-term value as kind of just like a, I know we felt like an importer exporter or something. It didn't really feel like a, there's going to be long-term value and we'll it kind of decided it's probably a good time to look for an exit. So we ended up selling to one of Regadget's competitors called uh, Mobile Monster, who had a, they're still operating today. They're doing really well, I think. Uh, actually, if I sell a phone, I sell it to them. So there you go. Um, we, so we sold uh, pretty much our assets of all our, all our contacts, networks, you know, CRM and um uh, pricing and how we bought stuff and yeah, you know val- valuable IP for them and they could start buying from their B2C customers and we bought from our, and they could buy from our B2B customers that they acquired and that kind of led into what the hell next and <laughs> dead mm. uh, yeah so ended up back at a corporate job <laughs> oh okay, um, yeah yeah so ended up at a um, an ad agency so yeah probably in the top five global ad agencies I'd never heard of them before I join them and the only reason we joined them is because we subleased um, some office space from them for the business so we met all the people there uh, when we sold the business we'll just kind of have that office space and we talked obviously know the people there and managed to uh, get in uh, as a, a role there in their running their digital team so mm-hmm. we had a small development software development team there so it was running their team and kind of doing the client meetings and uh, yeah and, and managing the, the dev stuff so that was great it was good experience in terms of i've never been i've obviously managed a lot of developers before that uh, for our own projects but never selling something to someone else in, in software so mm. worked with some big names telstra and, and bmw uh, bmw and some big consumer brands like a uh, danone and coon uh, i think coon's gone now so um naughty name now apparently was it now cheers or something no i don't know what it's called can't remember anyway. but yeah so yeah, a lot of lot of little projects, but they're kind of the big corporate work projects weren't definitely not preferable for for me in terms of development. And we enjoyed working with the smaller clients. We actually worked with a, an accounting firm, I think, so a big one, a group. So probably won't name names, but uh. <laughs> that's all good. All righty. And so, um, so then, how did you come to create Digital Basis? Yeah, so I, I, I sat up just as a, I had a lot of people approach, kind of going. Mm. network people on you going hey i want to build a website or i want to can you help me with my setting up my emails or whatever it would be and i just incorporated uh i was just doing it as a sole trader abn just going yep i'll do it and just kind of do it on the side and then it got a bit more serious so i incorporated a company and then that was that was kind of growing just through word of mouth 
and with services, just just running through the services, was it web design and software development as well? Yeah, so I guess we can get in, into that in a little bit. But essentially, right. I used to do a lot more. We kind of, you know, pretty much. I guess at the start, anyone comes and wants something, you just go, "Yeah, I can do that," and just do it. But as yeah. as, as you grow, you kind of specialize a little bit more. I mean, we still do websites. We still do. We can. We've got all the capability, but our core is software development. But not to say we we do quite a lot of websites, but it's just definitely not the the focus. I guess you position yourself as uh, not not for that. But yeah, I, I probably preface is saying I I didn't really like how the big agency model works. They kind of deliver a project and they go here you go, and then you know next day the client goes oh this when I click this I get an error message, and we go fix it and we send them an invoice. I'm like are we f- like that for real? Like. Imagine your accountant stuffs something up and then goes, uh, yep, we'll charge you to fix that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't think you do that, Ben. <laughs> no hourly rates. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no <time> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't really like it. And then uh, I guess like with with what I generally did, fixed price engagements for, for most of the stuff I was doing on the side, they come to go, I want a website. And I'll be like, it's four bucks, you know, whatever it will be. Yeah, probably not that cheap. But um and they deliver it and they come and, they, you know, you give them a bit of warranty period. It's, it's a hard one because sometimes it's clearly our fault and it takes them six weeks to find it. You kind of feel like, well, it's our fault. We should fix it. Yeah, anyway, that's, that's, a, that's always a tough discussion and, and, and whatnot. But the business was growing. Signed, then I think around July or something like that, signed a kind of a quite a, I think a 12-month retainer for a project. And that was kind of the, the preface. You go, okay, this business now is a bit too serious to, to run on the side. So... Uh, that is when digital bases became the, the focus. I think July-ish, August 2017. Yeah, so you're just over four years in in that business now. Yeah, the yeah, and I guess I never really thought that I'd be doing kind of consulting and and, and project work. It's before that always been kind of you know, a business doing a, a product or a service, so mm. uh, not a consulting model. So that's where we end up, and it's been good. It's, we've had as you know, we've had significant growth and um, we can probably get into that if, if it's in, of interest. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I've got some, kind of some questions that I'd like to ask about the, um, like as a as a business, because most of our client base and, and listeners would be service-based businesses in, in either professional services or trades. That's how kind of most common or even um, how medical or paramedical. And I've, I've kind of seen a couple of them and even broader networks um, do this kind of thing called a technology play. So um, I guess, do, do you have some examples of like a, a bricks and mortar business do something that's related to what they do, but not for their existing client base? It's just for maybe their industry as a whole? Like, yeah. Can, can you give us some examples of, of what you've yeah. seen? Yeah. So the prime example, we've, we work with a lot of businesses that, you know, SMEs that have an idea for their industry or their um Potentially something they're knowledgeable about, mm. that they go, there's a gap in the software or, or something operationally or, or whatever it would be for the industry. We've had a blind manufacturing business that, you know, wholesale manufactured blinds that has some ideas for, for, for blind software, which is another story. And, but in terms of one that I can kind of reference and, uh, what, and, and kind of show as a case study is a plumbing company mm. that I think there are when, when I met them, they might be about 20 plumbers, you know, a good business, probably multiple millions in revenue because, you know, plumbers charge like a significant amount as, as they do. <laughs> One out of the house yesterday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> got the bill in the mail. 
but um, they they um, wanted software to to help their business. Uh, they looked around, they tried out all the different offerings, and kind of decided this. They're like, what was like, I'm trying to think what the saying was to me. It was like all the software is built by geeks in the office, and they don't know what they want. They're like, they don't know how stuff works out in the field. Mm. Like, okay, so anyway, they started building their own. They kind of went through a path, a journey where they got to a pretty good level themselves. Um, mm. So they realized. They need. They needed one of those geeks to kind of help them <laughs> build out their vision a bit more. So yeah, we started working on. on I started working on, on that project. We got some developers on it, and we kind of have grown that over the past few years. And I still actively work on. So if you, if someone does check out the the LinkedIn profile, it will be mentioned there. Trade Track, which is now used by thousands of of trades around Australia. Wow. which is great. Um, they're part of uh, the Small Business Digital Adaptation Program in Victoria, which is a government-funded program to help businesses transition to to uh, digital platforms. So TradeTrack is amongst others, such as Xero and, and Square and Myob. So kind of pretty cool. And that's that's all started from a couple of plumbers who wrote some stuff down on a whiteboard in their office and decided to build software. Yeah, well, and and they they intended it just to help their own business initially, or did they see a bigger vision from the start? Uh, so their first version they made before I joined was just for their own business, and when they were, it was it helped them with their business dramatically. It was pretty impressive what they did. But on site they were asking, "Oh, what's what's this app you're using?" And they realised the amount of interest, and they showed the kind of the, the features, and the people were super interested in it. So they realised that there was probably a good uh, opportunity there for you know, commercialization into the whole industry rather than just serving it for them for their own purposes. Yeah, there you go. Very cool. And and you mentioned the government assistance there. Is that is that assistance with wait, let's say you're another random plumbing business. Um the government gives you help or money to implement something like trade track. Yeah, correct. So um it's it's been part of the Victorian government COVID stimulus um as a if you are under a certain size i think small business is like defined as under 10 million or something which mm-hmm. seems to be you know, if i was a nine million dollar business i don't know i'd class it as small uh, but it's a twelve hundred dollar grant that you essentially go out there buy the software and you get 1200 bucks back for it so we did it uh, obviously our business we did it we already had zero, so we couldn't use it for that. Um, if you're not using zero and you think about transitioning, you could use it for that. Uh, we use it for LawPath, which is a, a legal subscription service. Um, so we have pretty much free document reviews, free legal templates and stuff like that. And the, the government funded that, which was cool. All righty. And, and I guess, yeah, for, for the listeners as well, like there's there's other incentives for, uh, I guess, building software as well, like R&D. Yeah, uh, R and D tax incentive is it can be a good one. Obviously, you need to get the the right advice and talk to. I'm guessing uh, uh, you might have some referrals for uh, people you work with that do the R and D advisory and help ensuring that you're compliant with the program. But uh, quite a few of our clients use, use that program to help them with their development. And they kind of um, ask us. We we have to keep specific records. Hmm. We have to um, you know. Uh, You've got to make sure how you're kind of tackling the problem complies with the framework, which is important. But the offset can, can be massive. So we're talking about up to 43.5% back, which is yeah. pretty good. And that's incredible when you when you consider the cost of software development. It's not usually you know cheap. I wouldn't say it's a low-cost service offering. But that yeah, when you're getting 40% back, it makes it a little bit more. Oh, definitely. 
I remember back when I mentioned Regadget back in 2011, my accountant mentioned it to me saying back then I think it was a 45% grant because it drops when the tax rate drops. Mm. Um, and I'm like, no, there's no way the government's going to give half the money back on the development. That's just ridiculous. And then now I look back and I'm like, oh, I should have probably explored that more. But anyway, or maybe the accountant should have pushed it more uh, either way. <laughs> yep. Uh, cool. And then um, on that, sorry, just as another grant that we've used in the past as well called the EMDG, the Export Market Development Grant. And we'll be using, hopefully using that for another business this year, which essentially allows to get um, half of your overseas marketing costs back. So we'll be redoing our website to target some overseas markets so that we proportionate to how much traffic is from overseas compared to Australia. So we'll get money back on our website build. All our Google kind of ads, Facebook ads that target overseas market will get half back on up to for the first two years that you can get up to 40 grand a year back, which is pretty good too. Mm, that's a significant reduction in the expense, isn't it? Yeah, always. Makes it, it, it for us, it just de risks it significantly because we don't know how well the ads are going to perform overseas. So, fantastic. So, um, cool. All righty. And then, and, um, is there anything else you wanted to sort of mention of like uh, what type of businesses you work with? And, and again, in our context, we, we've got mostly small businesses listening. Anything yeah. So, keep in mind when considering a software project. So, I'll just maybe highlight kind of what, what we do. Um, our focus, as I mentioned, is definitely software, and it's generally new builds for companies that uh, you know that probably haven't done any software projects in the past. So we kind of frame it as we almost become your CTO or you know your technical partner or your kind of advisor for anything technical. So I guess how you're my uh, you're our accounting and then tax kind of person, and I wouldn't try and do anything without you guys. We kind of that's where we try and position ourselves for for our customers. And there's a kind of a, we generally try and stage what we're looking at because if you just come with with a really not fleshed out product idea, with it's really it's like going to a builder and asking them to quote it based on a sketch of the exterior of the house. When you start going, well, how many bathrooms is in there? Well, when you start getting into all the details, that's when you can start actually pricing it out, and that costs money to do. Mm. So it's kind of like giving you it's like the architect giving the plans to the builder and the builder can quote it so we, we try but that's how we kind of i guess discuss what we do is maybe come to us with a with an idea we can do a sessions on on kind of fleshing it out a little bit more to go this is what is kind of uh, this is what you're telling us we want to build an app for you know whatever it is and we kind of start building out a bit more and we can kind of give you a more of a gut feel of how how big a scope we think the project is and give you a kind of a, a price range as such going this is kind of what it could look like and then we we how it generally will progress then is what we call a blueprint session where we pretty much spend a day or two days with with you and go through everything in, in significant detail and pretty much build out the scope of works in detail that is then either we'll we will quote on that but you could also palm that off to anyone you wanted to quote on it to and obviously that's a, a paid service for us and but it, what it allows you to do is either use us if, if the price sounds good or shop around as well once you've got the uh, the scope done uh, out in a lot more detail, which you really need to do before you commence. Great. So that's almost like that session and up to that stage is almost being the architect in your analogy. And then you can also build it. But so yeah. yeah. Cool. Great. We've got the team. Obviously, our development team is involved a little bit in, in the, the architecture phase as such. Um, they're not that involved. It's more of a, uh, you know, um, project managers and technical leads as such that kind of go through all the detail and then break it out and figure out what's going on and all the moving parts are. And that's where they get the, the kind of the scope of works. 
Yeah, very cool. And and do you have any specific industries that you work with or is it pretty broad? As I mentioned, if you came to us and said we've got an existing platform that you know has been around for 10 years that integrates with all these legacy systems, it's probably not not for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we usually like greenfields, like brand new projects that um, we can crack into. Obviously, we do ERP integrations for that and whatnot too. Um, and that's, that's probably one of the common things is building, for example, an infield app for your sales staff or whatever it would be that need um, proof of deliveries if you're doing your own delivery system and you need to get that into your ERP system, whatever it would be. So we do kind of small integrations there into into Sage or into um, uh, Dynamics um, Unleashed and, and, and software like that um, for internal use. But probably our, our most common one is B2B SaaS, so software as a service where we've got an idea for your industry, you're going to commercialize it, you're going to sell on a subscription basis. That's probably where our most common market is and it's usually founders that um, are either in the industry, they've been working a professional corporate type job in the industry or, or operate a business in the industry. And probably based just on numbers, people with businesses generally have a bit more flexibility and they can divert some profits from the business or whatever it is to invest while someone on the uh, um, just a professional would have to potentially redraw a mortgage or something. So there's probably in terms of Raw numbers, it's definitely business owners, small, medium business owners that want to build a product for their industry. Very cool. And and so thank, thanks for running us through, the, I guess, what the business does. But um, could we ask some questions around the actual running the business and, and, ha- and yeah. seeing it grow over the years? <laughs> yeah, so it's um, yeah, a so, wild ride. Yeah. yeah. Um, so walk us through what's happened since 2017. And like, was it just you at the start or did you have a couple of team? Yeah, so when I started, it was just me, just... Um, doing advisory type work and then that transitioned into uh, i guess some of the small builds at the start i'd just do it myself in terms of doing some code and whatnot i'm not allowed to code anymore my, my, team, <laughs> my team doesn't allow it so um, <laughs> or if i did they just take the they um, i'm sure they'd be very mean to me on, on the <laughs> control you know, z on, on the comments on, yeah that's it on the comments of the of the code but no, so I think around uh, July, we got a off in 2017, got our first um, full-time developer offshore in, in Ukraine. We, we have quite a few quite a few developers in Ukraine now. We have quite a few in Australia as well. So we've got a mix. But we started there and then um, we hired a, 2018, hired a full-time developer locally. That was, that was number two. I mean, between them, we did get another offshore. So we kind of, and then in November 2018, we hired... Um, a marketing person locally so we kind of went from being me in 2017 to the end of 2018 being free developers and a marketing person and we kind of i guess we kind of stayed like that for a little while we had to pull another had another offshore two offshore developers by that by 2019 plus another local so what's that about i'm probably at seven people end of 2019 but then well, maybe a couple more probably 10 so contractors are a bit funny because sometimes for a project you got them full time, then you, you might they might be gone because you got no other projects. So it was a bit different. And then uh, twenty twenty things just boomed. Coronavirus. It was pretty slow in kind of March and April and, and probably June, but then it just really kicked off and we grew to I think about twenty people by the end of twenty twenty, which was you know a very significantly different. For me, operating the business, I used to be intimately close with every single project, knowing every single moving part to potentially barely knowing what a project is um, and barely knowing off the top of your head how many, 
who's everyone, who everyone's name is uh, uh, in the business because they've grown significantly quick and I was, you know, working on my own projects and, uh, yeah, it was just it, just a boom time hiring the whole time and, you know, that's pretty difficult at the best of times. But I, IT just was gone you know, really difficult to, to get anyone for, really. And so how did you handle that growth? Like, how did you sort of... Yeah, so in, in the past, I'd always essentially been project managing every project so i guess i was up to almost 10 people project managing it myself um which was fine because some projects might have four people on so it's pretty easy to manage and the guys kind of work with themselves but when i say guys and that's in, in software it is is um, very male centric which is unfortunate and hopefully that changes over the, the years now but um kind of realized pretty quick that the the this the, the factor that was delaying growth and, and sales and just not in probably annoying customers as well was the bottleneck of, of me being essentially holding up every single project trying to run the business and run projects just was not working so went out in the kind of july august last year 2020 and decided needed a, a project manager to help clear off my plate and hired uh, a hired uh, one which is great and then from a kind of job hunt, we've actually found two good people, but one, he was a bit senior and had more GM type experience, but thought, well, it'd be worth a chat, essentially going, hey, mate, get in, get involved, get get some projects under your belt, and this is the roadmap where you can kind of start operational looking after the entire business is like what your history has been. So that, that transition happened around February this year. So we appointed uh, Sean as the general manager of the business which has allowed me to kind of significantly back off on, on everything uh, operationally, which has been a, a bit of a relief as such. Yeah, how, how good is that? So you, you got your project manager last year and then Sean GM in. Yeah, well, actually you hired a, I guess from, we hired a junior project manager at the kind of April, May last year as well, just to help me out, but he was kind of a bit junior then so we hired another pro- anyway the, the the junior project manager is now a critical part of the team he's kind of stepped up significantly um, and and grown into a, you know, a great uh, asset to the business yeah good all righty um and so you i guess that that's a great outcome like having way more time what, what do you do with it now like, what does your week look like <laughs> what do i do with it just make myself make my life difficult by Going okay, I've got more time now. I've got to focus on the the next lot of goals. So I guess the first goal was always with business. If I could get a business that could kind of pay me a wage without having to be in it daily, mm. would be great. So that's kind of been achieved now with the general manager looking after all those projects. I'm uh, uh, trade track is actually one that's, that I've come back to to work on significantly over the past couple of months. Yep. They're going through a major growth phase, and they. The technical role is quite important at the moment. So I've been committing, uh, in terms of getting off of projects, I've gotten off of projects and kind of committing uh, uh, probably you know quite a bit of my time to to that. And with that, we've and we've got an equity position in the business now, which is fantastic for, for us. And we're going through the, the capital raise kind of um, side, which is cool as well. So you know, this this evening, for example, we've got a, a call with an investment committee of a VC. So. That's um, because of that growth and that success of the business. That's kind of, um, I feel like I'm back in my own startup again. We're trying to get investment and whatnot. So that's been good. And and the other part of it for me is the agency is great, but selling an agency is not really, there's no value in the business. Like it's, if I was buying an agency, it's kind of people, it's not like um, some service businesses where you might have long term engagements or contracts. It can just kind of probably like, for example, with, with you guys, you might be probably more value than what we've got because. 
as more of an ongoing uh, recurring revenue um, compared to a project that's quoted up and won by myself or, or whatnot. So the focus has been on how do we, how do I build a, an asset pool of, of, of businesses that are valuable? And that's where, so I freed up my time and now we've acquired two small software companies um, that uh, are SaaS companies, very low revenue. So we kind of thought we'd dip our toes in and we've bought two, two businesses. And, and the plan there is just to sort of build them and grow them with your skills and Yep. So we've got the development team to to kind of run them and uh, and grow them. So we'll engage some marketing and specialist marketers that we know we've worked with to to grow the revenue. So the aim is to kind of five x the revenue over the kind of eight, end of next year, um, which will you know significantly increase the the asset price. And, and SaaS companies are pretty easy that size to value. Yep. You kind of value them at three to three to four times revenues yep. uh, annual revenue. Cool. So we can grow at 5x, increase the, the valuation to, to a 4x on the growing business. We'll kind of take it from a, a 2x purchase, 5x the revenue, and then get the, we'll change it from a 60 grand sale to a 600 grand sale is the, is the optimistic goal. Beautiful. You can't necessarily do that sort of stuff even with the booming property market. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, if you bought a couple in Sydney a few years ago, you probably were up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, that's... Leverage. Uh, I guess the only thing, good thing about property is the, the ability to borrow while borrowing to, to acquire businesses is, as I found out, is, is not easy. Mm. Oh, that's it. Oh, very cool. Well, um, hey, thanks, thanks for sharing all your um, your gold nuggets, and and I think we we kind of just scratched the surface of a few things there, but um, I think it's still valuable for our our listeners. Uh, if people want to learn more about you or your philosophies, or even even um, digital basis, and and sort of suss out whether it might be a good fit for helping with a technology project or software project, how would they do that? Yep. Um, so digitalbasis.com. Um, we've got some, uh, I guess we kind of got a, a few services listed on there kind of showing what we can do um, and some kind of price guides as such, um, which, is, which could be useful. We've also got a, a link there to book on my calendar, which is, uh, you, know, we, you know, if you want a, an opinion on anything, uh, on, on any software projects you're thinking about, just book a calendar session. And I'm happy to have a chat to see um, any options there. And on my personal kind of site is uh, ojm.co, um, which has a bit of the other things that's not digital basis related that might be might be of interest, such as our, our acquisition of, of some software companies and um, you know me uh, putting some gaming videos on YouTube. Ah, which games? <laughs> Old school, uh, Command and Conquer. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't do new games. I do old games. <laughs> oh, really cool. I yeah, uh, I get into a bit of PUBG myself. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> can't, can't wait till the boys are a bit older and get some gaming on then. And um, and you did hint on a book uh, to me earlier. I, I know right now it's probably not ready, but um, when when listeners are, yeah. are hearing it, we might be able to yeah. get it. Where would we find that once it's released? It will be listed on ogm.co and digitalbases.com. So essentially we're, I'm writing a book about how to kind of manage, uh, I'm essentially how to, as a business owner, how to manage an outsourced develop software development project. And when you hear outsource, that people often think India or whatever, uh, but that could be, you know, engaging us to um, to build your project for you. Just stuff to look out for, you know, pitfalls, traps, ongoing costs, all, all the stuff that people ask us when, when they want a software project done. We're yep. trying to make it in, into a, a framework so someone can kind of feel like they can uh, talk to um 
talk to developers without being scared or, or techno-babbled or, or whatever you want to call it. Awesome. All righty. Thank you. Uh, and we'll, we'll include links to all of what you mentioned in the show notes as well, uh, if you cool. can um, find that on our, our podcast site too. So thanks again, Owen. And um, yeah. yeah, thanks for having having a, having me on your podcast. And thanks for uh, you know everything uh, you do for our business as well. It's, you know, your team is amazing. So um, happy happy days. Appreciate that, mate. Thank you. I'll um, hopefully catch you for a beer sometime in the next six to twelve months. That would be good. I reckon I might get to the US before I get to Brisbane. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks again, mate. And I'll uh, I'll chat soon. See you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with today's guest, you can find their contact information in the show notes in the podcast section of our website at inspire.business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the Young Family Small Business Podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. Also, do join our Facebook community. You can find that by going to youngfamilysmallbusiness.com. And if you're interested in speaking with an Inspire accountant, head to inspire.business forward slash chat, where you can book a free 20-minute strategy call. And lastly, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on my Instagram, uh, which is the at symbol Ben Walker CA, or one word, or at Inspire underscore accountant. Thanks again and see you next time.